This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. had a good Christmas and New Year and you're all refreshed and ready to go. As Howard said, we're finishing genuinely, honestly, today is the last in the Vital Signs series and the vital sign we're going to look at today is that healthy churches produce fruitful people. Okay, we've been looking at this idea of what makes a healthy church and what we're going to say today is that healthy churches produce fruitful people. People, So we're going to look at us as individuals becoming fruitful. And so you don't have to listen to me all morning. Jess is going to come and read the passage. We're looking at Galatians 5. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Galatians 5. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, verse 13 following. But Jess is going to come and read the passage for us. So we're looking at this idea of becoming fruitful. And most of us, I guess, want to be fruitful in some way or another. We want to achieve something with our lives. And it's at this time of year, I guess, that we think about that more than any other. So, hands up. I'm not going to ask you what your New Year's resolutions are, but just hands up if you've got a New Year's resolution. Anyone? Yeah, there's a few. Quite a few, actually. More than I was expecting. And I expect some of you haven't got New Year's resolutions, but you've reviewed the year and you've got plans for what you're doing this year. Some of you may be... This year is too much. January is what you're planning. Some of you have got young kids, and if you make it to the end of the day, you feel like you've had a good one. A friend of mine wrote on Facebook, she's doing dry January. Uh, She wrote on Facebook uh, yesterday evening, surely I can start dry January on the 4th. So uh, hopefully she'll do all right for some of a month of dry January. Uh, We had a great time at G1C uh, just before Christmas. Um, if you're not in a G1C, I highly encourage you to get involved. They're great. Tom uh, asked a fantastic question, which was, what is God challenging you about this year? Where does God want you to grow this year? And it's a great thing to think about and a way to look at that. And we're going to look at this. Pa- we're going to look at that in this passage today. How do we grow? How do we become fruitful? And I guess we can sometimes think of fruitfulness in terms of achievements. You can think, well, I'm fruitful at work because I got a promotion this year. I've sold whatever I needed to sell. I made whatever I needed to make. I've been fruitful. Or maybe you can say, well, I've been fruitful because my kids have achieved. They've just got grade 17 in the oboe. They're doing fantastically. I am fruitful. Uh, Maybe you can view it in terms of church life. You think, well, I have just become a G1C leader. I am fruitful. Or maybe you say, that's that's for those show-offs. I serve. I do buttons at the back. We love you guys. Nobody knows what I do. I'm fruitful. Or maybe you've just become an elder. And you are fruitful. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what Paul ever touches on. Outward uh, change, outward growth. Paul is looking at internal fruit and internal change. Paul describes the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Just a bit of a caveat for some of you here. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit today. And I know for some of you, whenever the word Holy Spirit comes up, you kind of, the Holy Spirit to use like, a, uh, like an embarrassing uncle who comes to events just to make everyone feel awkward. I know some of you feel like that. Some of you view the fullness of the Spirit all with uh, experiences of the Holy Spirit, and it's all to do with uh, those experiences. We're not going anywhere near either of those topics today. The fruit of the Spirit is about something completely different. Uh, and so if you were worried there, you can uh, sit back, relax, enjoy the ride. Um, some of you this Christmas will have played a game. You didn't know you were playing it, but you've played it. Satsuma Roulette. You know Satsuma Roulette every Christmas? Anyone would like, you can have a Satsuma. You want to play, Joe? The deal is you have to eat a bit and take the rubbish away with you. Yep. Oh, nice. Slick. Oh, anyone else? Howard. Oh, look, loads. Back. That's, that's the joy of Satsuma Roulette. You never know, do you? You just literally never know. You think that is looking like a good bit of fruit. You think, I haven't eaten for at least three, maybe four minutes. I need to eat something. I cannot face another celebration. I will eat some fruit. You think that will be juicy and sweet. It's not always, though, is it? Sometimes it's nasty underneath the flesh, underneath the skin. So sometimes it tastes of nothing. Sometimes it's lovely. Was it nice? Did you enjoy it? Well, you bite it and you discover Tastes tasteless. Satsumas that taste tasteless. It's outrageous, isn't it? And so they, these are bad, are they? These are bad bag I bought. They were cheap, I suspect, and they've probably been in my fridge for goodness knows how long. Um, but you play that time, don't you? And actually, we don't want our lives to be like that. And that's what Paul is picturing. You see, we sometimes think of fruit, I think, as apples. Paul lived in the Mediterranean, and I imagine he thought of satsumas when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's saying, when the outer peel is peeled away from your life, what's the fruit? What does it taste like? What is the inside of your life like? We're gonna, I'm going to play another little game with you. I like to play some games. Uh, we're going to spot the heresy, okay? This is spot the heresy. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. If you've been a kid's worker or you've been in kid's uh, church as a kid, you've probably done this diagram, seen these diagrams. What is implied by these pictures, which is not what Paul is talking about? Go on, Emma. They're all separate. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Quite deliberately, it's a singular fruit. When you think about it, no trees grow with a dozen different types of fruit on them. All trees produce one fruit. What Paul's talking about in this passage is is one fruit. It's not love. I've got fruit of the Spirit because I'm loving, but I haven't got any of the others. No, no, no. Fruit of the Spirit is all of these things all together. You see, you can meet people who are kind but lack self-control. In fact, the reason they're kind is because they have no self-control. They just don't say no to anyone. And they turn out being kind. You meet people who are terribly, terribly patient, don't you? I'm waiting for the Lord. I can wait. I've sold to people like this. They're very annoying. Um, They're terribly patient. But they lack joy. They're so busy being patient, they have no joy. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience and joy. 
You can see me, these people are full of love and they're verbose and they're full of joy, but they lack all gentleness and they hurt everyone around them by being callous. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. You can see it terribly in marriage where people are faithful to one another because they believe it's the right thing to do, but they feel trapped and therefore they're deeply unkind. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. We all want to be that person who's loving and joyful and always at peace while being able to forgive others, even while they attack us. A person who's overflowing with kindness and goodness, who is faithful in mind as well as in action, who has gentleness and self-control no matter what the world throws at them. And Paul says there are two main ways we try and get this. He talks about two main ways in this passage that we as human beings try to create internal growth. The first Paul calls the law. Okay, he's Jewish. He's writing 2,000 years ago to other Jews. He uses that term, the law. To us, we might call it uh, being religious or, or being spiritual. Or it might just be that you read a whole load of self-help books. You see, we construct a set of rules by which we live, hoping, if you believe in God, that it will please God, but certainly hoping that they will bring fruit. If I obey some rules and some regulations and some laws, surely I will change internally. I will grow and produce fruit. This is particularly tricky for Christians. It's particularly bad for Christians. We're particularly good at putting rules in place and thinking that will please God. In fact, um, this is my Bible. You will have heard this book described as an instruction manual for life. A book of rules and regulations, a a book to live by, a a guide as to how to live. That is not what this book is. I shall tell you later what it is. Excitement, building tension. Um, And we can see this in all sorts of areas of life. We we, we think we're going to be kinder. I'm going to start by being much kinder, so God will make me fruitful. And then guess what? I'm kind, and everything goes pear-shaped. God lets me down. Uh, You can see it in marriage, you know, your marriage might be going through a a tough patch, a rocky patch, and you think, I'm going to do some grand act of love, like uh, picking up your pants from the bathroom floor. Yeah, apparently, we're supposed to do that, guys, just to let you know. Um, And then your wife does not respond with the required amount of praise and admiration. You think, well, what's the point? What is the point? Maybe it can be the same with self-control, you know? You, you can say, I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going on a diet. And you immediately feel hungrier. Like that very second, you feel hungrier than you have ever felt before. Maybe it was your New, Re- New Year's resolution today to be far less grumpy with people at church. And already, someone has done something outrageously rude and offensive. And you think, well, there you go, God. I tried you let me down. And you see, you meet people who used to go to church, and nine times out of ten, this is what they say. I did everything right, God let me down. We think that God should be impressed by this approach. We think that this approach should make us fruitful. We think that God should say, you tried, you obeyed some rules, well done. That's what we think. But what we see in Jesus' life is that the very people who took this approach to the nth degree were Jesus' enemies. 
The religious people of his day were insanely good at obeying rules and regulations and laws. They, they, Jesus says they tithe their herbs and spices, which seems mental, but it's also an astonishing level to go to in terms of trying to please God and become fruitful. And if these guys were alive today, they'd have been at everything. They'd have served at every meeting. They would have done loads of acts of random kindness. They'd have been out there treasure-seeking. They'd have certainly signed up for CAP and Family Space. And they'd have sung at Sandfields. They were those guys. And they would have done everything. And yet Jesus describes them as whitewashed tombs. That's how Jesus describes those sorts of people. He said, your soul looks so good on the outside, but inside is full of death. You're like the worst satsuma ever. You're all orange and lovely on the outside, but inside you just taste rank. That, Jesus didn't say that. I, that was a paraphrase. Um, and Paul, who's writing this letter, the guy writing this letter says, I was better than those guys. I obeyed more rules, more regulations, and more laws than any of them put together. I was the absolute best at being good. And he says it was all absolute rubbish. It was all a complete waste of time. So we think, man, this is, this is getting tough, because I kind of thought that was what church was about, and, and now I don't know where I'm going. Paul says, no, it's even worse than you think. It's even worse. You see, Paul says just before the passage we're looking at that a tiny little bit of law-keeping works through the whole of your life. He says it's like yeast. You know, tiny, one of those little seven grams packets, you wave it in, works through the whole yeast. He says it's like that. It's like dominoes. You just obey one law, one little law to please God, one little law to produce that internal fruit. And Paul says, wipes everything out. All that Jesus has done with you, like a domino through your whole life, you actually enslave yourself. We're unable to find freedom because you decided you would take it on yourself to be fruitful. If you just took it on yourself to obey one law. Paul says, wipes it all out. So Paul summarises the law as not doing what we want to do. It's not doing what we want to do so that we might be blessed and fruitful. So if we think, well, that isn't the approach. Paul clearly doesn't think that's the approach. The the approach must be the opposite of that. It must be doing whatever we want. Must be that. And Paul summarizes that approach as the flesh. It's a great phrase. Uh, We today probably call it something like uh, liberalism, modern enlightened way of looking at the world. And surely it is the overriding philosophy of our generation to do whatever we want, to do what feels good. You've seen the hashtag YOLO. Yeah, you only live once. I'm told by my kids that you can now only use it ironically. Okay, we can't, we can't, we don't say YOLO anymore. Um, we just, I only say it ironically. Uh, but you see YOLO uh, on, on things like someone skydiving. YOLO, you only live once. More often than not, though, it's on like someone being horribly sick or wearing inappropriate clothing or snogging someone they just met. YOLO, whee! Um, and perhaps you're not of that generation. Perhaps you have got your landy. And on it, you've got one life. Live it. And it's the same. 
It's the same thing. One life, live it. I've just got one life, I'm going to live it to the max. The Bible sums this idea up as eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So I'm sorry, Instagrammers and Land Rover owners, your take on life has been around for at least 4,000 years. And Paul says the problem with it is it just doesn't work. To follow the flesh is to do whatever we want. And the big problem is that what we want to do is generally not that great. In fact, the reason we want to change, the reason we want to produce fruit is because we are not happy with our thoughts and attitudes. So it seems incredibly stupid to think to follow my thoughts and attitudes and feelings would produce fruit not in keeping with my thoughts and feelings. I'll give you an example. If you're faced with an aggressor, yeah, you know there's this fight or flight attitude. Yeah, it's natural to us. That is natural, fight or flight. And so you see that in marriages all the time. Yeah, you see that in marriages where things go wrong and there's aggression between two people and one person goes YOLO, I'm walking away. You only live once. One life, live it, I'm running. Or you only live once, I'm going to fight. We know those are our natural inclinations and we know they are incredibly disastrous for our marriages, for our families and for society as a whole. And if you're a Christian here, you can think, well, yeah, that is what they're like. That's what the world are like. But we're Christians. We've been changed on the inside. We just let go and let God. You've heard that phrase? That sounds good. That sounds spiritual, right? Let go and let God sounds spiritual. I just let go and I let God take over. And maybe you never say that. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. But maybe your attitude just says that about you. Maybe you just don't bother putting much effort into your walk with Jesus. Maybe you just don't bother getting up early and praying, don't bother reading the Bible, don't bother um, loving other people in church, don't bother serving, don't bother with any of that. And you kind of think, hopefully, probably, God will sort it all out in the end. D.A. Carson's, I love this quote, D.A. Carson's, uh, if you don't know who he is, it's fine, he's a good guy. If you do, well done, top of the class for you. Uh, He says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness. We delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godliness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. It's a good quote, isn't it? And so Paul says the fruit of the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and alike. I quite like the end, and the like. Just all catch all, everything else, you know what it is. And you could make a joke at this tight point. I could go, sums up my Christmas. I could do that, but, and we kind of think that way a bit. We go, hey, what a lifestyle. But actually, if you know people like that, if you've got people like this in your life, you know it's painful. You know that it's hard when these people, they seem all orangey and nice on the outside. They seem all shiny 
When you get a bit close to them, the fruit of their life is sour and bitter and difficult. They are hard people to be around. Actually, we know this is the case. We, we know we feel that in ourselves. It's one of the big concerns of, of, of our generation, of, of our people living in the West. Um, and you can read it in all sorts of psychological uh, material. But there's a big fear for us. The people will get beyond the shiny outer shell. That they'll see beyond that. And, and you see a, a whole narcissistic generation rising up and just presenting themselves as something online. Just a constant. It's all about presentation because I'm terribly, terribly afraid that someone might get close enough to taste the fruit of my life. Somebody might get close enough to taste it. And they might spit me out. They might think that the fruit of my life is rank. So we live isolated lives, constantly working on our mask to distract from the death within. So, Paul's conclusion is that neither obeying the law nor the flesh is the answer. To produce fruit then, we neither do what we want to do nor what we don't want to do. Got it? So we don't do what we want to do and we don't do what we don't want to do. It's making sense, isn't it? Yeah? And we can think of these as two different paths. We can think that there's, there's law over here and flesh over here. And Christianity is probably somewhere in the middle. That's probably where I'm going with it, right? Some sort of in the middle-ness. And we can live our lives like that, especially as Christians. Uh, we sort of flip between one day kind of trying really hard to be good and the next day kind of doing what we want. Actually, Paul describes both of these paths as the same path. He says both these paths lead to slavery, which leads to death. It's a path driven by a desperate desire to be the person we want to be, but the path destined for failure. So we're a bit stuck. (laughs) We're a bit stuck. And we want to be that person who's loving and joyful and kind. We want to be that person who forgives others, even as they attack us. We want to be the person overflowing with kindness and goodness. We want to be faithful in mind and action. We want to be gentle and self-controlled, no matter what this world throws at us. But Paul says if we obey the law, we both fail and become a prisoner. If we follow the flesh, we produce all sorts of ugliness. So what do we do? Paul outlines a different path. And it's not a happy medium. It's a new path. It's a totally different orchard for you to plant your life in. Paul gives us three steps. I'm going to touch a lot on the first two. and The last one I'm just going to touch very briefly on. He gives us three different, three steps for us to become fruitful. Three steps for us to grow in our lives. So that when the outer peel is peeled away, what is tasted is sweet and is juicy and is lovely. And you want people to get close because the Holy Spirit has done something remarkable in you. Paul says this right at the end. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So step one is this. Take it to the cross. Take it to the cross. Some people ask, what can a guy dying on a cross 2,000 years ago mean to me today? What, how can that possibly be relevant? And, and a lot of Christians live as if it's irrelevant. 
However, what happened on the cross is relevant at every point in history. And not just as a historical fact, but because the cross is working out its power in people's lives, in the lives of believers, every moment of every day, all over the world. We know this. At the cross, Jesus died for our sins. If you're not a Christian, you probably know that's what Christians believe. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. At the cross, he took every sin you would one day commit and was punished for it. He balanced the books of your as yet unstarted life. Every ugly thought, word and action was taken with him and he bore the full weight of your deserved punishment. You might not be a Christian here and you might say, whoa, I haven't done anything that bad. I don't deserve that sort of punishment. And yet every day you beat yourself up about your mistakes you've made. And you crucify yourself for your failings. Well, those days can be behind you. What we do is we take our failings to the cross and we nail them there. Jesus as Christ has paid the price so that you can live in freedom. Trust me, if you want to be free from your past failings and of the failings of others, bring them to the cross because he's already paid the price. So how do we do that? How do we do that practically? How do I actually take my sin to the cross? Well, I'm gonna, there's loads of ways. I'm going to give you three. One of them is just simply to pray to Jesus. Simply, you can do it now. Say, man, these are my failings. These are the things I'm not happy with. These are the things that are the fruit of my life I'm not happy with. The Bible says it's a really good thing to confess your sins one to another. Not to a priest, just to another Christian. And we're going to give you a chance in a bit to do that. Uh, you can come to the front and someone will pray with you. And you can just say, man, this is the thing I'm struggling with. And, and trust me, you, you, honestly, you won't surprise us. You won't shock us. Uh, uh, the people who are going to pray for you at the front are not better than you. They're probably wanting to confess themselves. They just got on prayer duty this week. Uh, so do do that. Uh, if you just say, oh, well, I'm not ready for that. I'm really not ready for that. Uh, we're going to do communion. And communion is just such a great opportunity to look at the cross, to look at what Jesus did. And as you come and take communion and say, I'm leaving it there. I'm leaving my stuff there at the cross. So the first thing we do is we take it to the cross. And the second thing we do is we walk with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are thinking, well, you said this wasn't going to get weird. I know you're talking about walking with the Spirit. Actually, we get, mixed, we get it all mixed up in our minds with uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And we get it mixed up in our minds with uh, experiences of the Holy Spirit. But actually, walking with the Holy Spirit is like going for a walk with a really passionate friend. You know, I didn't even been for a while. I expect if you go for a walk with either of these two lovely people, they will bang on about one another. Yeah, they will be saying how lovely Rich is, how clever he is, how handsome he is. That's just, rich. just rich. And they'll say how Abby is so beautiful and clever and funny. You know this, you've been for a walk with people who have just fallen in love or got engaged. If people have had a new baby, they'll, they are keen to show you photos of a new baby. Look, here's a new baby. Show you more pictures. New baby doing googly noise. New baby walking. New baby being sick on grandma. And they're passionate and they love it and they will talk endlessly about that. You, you might get a new job and you will talk passionately about your new, new job. I had a terribly uplifting uh, experience in threes just before uh, Christmas. I uh, got a new job and I was telling them all about what to me was the very interesting uh, ins and outs of the Ferrero commission structure. I work for Ferrero Chocolate Company and I didn't notice them glaze over. But they are so loving towards me. After a few minutes they just said, look, honestly we stopped listening. 
Uh, so it's great to be in a guy's three. Sarah got cute gifts uh, from her three. I got abuse. Nah, just saying. No, dude, getting threes, they're really good. It's love. No, they're loving me. They don't want me embarrassing myself in front of others. But the problem with these conversations is uh, if you're really interested in the other person, you, you love it. You know, if you're the grandma and they're showing you pictures, that's great, I love new baby. If you're mates with them, I love it. Please do show me your pictures of your new baby. Please do tell me how beautiful Rich is. That's fine, Abby. I like you guys. I'm interested. If you're kind of moderately interested, you're interested for a little bit. If it's Sue from work showing you another pictures of what the Mr. Tiddles did last night, you just want to tell Sue where to shove that picture of her stupid cat. <laughs> right? Sorry, that's not very sermony. Sorry. Um, you want to love her and be kind and generous. Um, that's because in these conversations, what is so important to the person speaking can be of little importance to the per hearer. Walking with the Holy Spirit is a bit like walking with these people, except with a massive difference. What the Holy Spirit is excited about is someone who is of phenomenal importance to you and your life. The Holy Spirit loves to talk about Jesus. The Bible says he never stops bringing praise to Jesus. When we walk with the Holy Spirit, what you hear is, look at Jesus. Isn't he amazing? Don't you know how powerful he is? He created the whole of the universe with his spoken word. The Holy Spirit says, don't you know how remarkable Jesus is? There was nothing and he created everything. The Holy Spirit says, you know Jesus, do you know how loving he is? Do you know how much he loves you? He came and died for you. He was thinking about you before he created the universe. He saw you down through the ages and he's been coming for you ever since. He came and he was born as a baby. Don't you know Jesus? Don't you know how much he loves you? He died on the cross for you, but Jesus isn't dead. Jesus rose again. Do you know how powerful Jesus is, the Holy Spirit says? He rose again. He's ascended to the highest place. Don't you know how amazing he is? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. One day all things will come under him. He will wipe away every tear. The Holy Spirit says every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and you will enter into his glory. So imagine you're going for a walk and you've been single for a long time. You're going for a walk with a mate and the mate says, I've met someone perfect for you. Initially, you're dubious. You've been on blind dates before. But then they show you a picture and you go, fair play, they are fit. (laughs) And then the person's telling you all sorts of stories about this person. You think, they are wonderful. I want to meet them. And then you go, oh, no, they don't like me. And they go, no, it's okay. I showed them a picture of you. You go, what did you do that for? And they go, no, it's okay. They think you're beautiful. And you think, well, probably got some sort of eye condition, but I'm happy with that. And they go, but they might like the look of me, but why if they don't like who I am? The person says, no, no, I've told you hundreds of, told them hundreds of stories. And they think you're great. And they want to go out this Saturday. It's an interest. It's a conversation you are deeply interested in. See, the thing about the Holy Spirit, he is not just passionate and obsessed with Jesus. He's incredibly passionate about you too. And he knows that if you could just see Jesus the way he sees Jesus, your life would change forever. So when you're struggling with sin, he says, Jesus has won a freedom for you. He says he adopted you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Bask in his grace and you'll be set free. 
When you're scared, he comes alongside and he says, don't you know Jesus overcame sin and death? Don't you know he created the world? Don't you know that he loves you? The Holy Spirit says, remember the disciples in the boat. He says, remember Joseph in prison. When you're in pain, in more pain than you think you can bear, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such suffering. He loves you. Think about the day when you finally cross the Jordan, when you finally stand in the undying lands. The Holy Spirit is like the maid of honour and the best man all at once. He can't wait for the wedding of the Lamb. That's Jesus. He can't wait for the wedding of Jesus to you, his bride. And he wants to prepare you. He wants the fruit of your life to taste sweeter than you can imagine. And he knows that Jesus can do that for you. And you say, okay, that sounds great. That sounds brilliant. So what's the practicalities of walking by the Spirit? How do we do that? And there's, there's, there's loads of ways, and I could talk about prayer, and I could talk about worship, I could talk about service, I could talk about all sorts of different ways that you can. But I want to pick up on one, a really key one. Um, I want to talk about the Bible. You remember I said this was not a guidebook or an instruction manual, and you're all on tenterhooks. You've been thinking, when is he going to get to tell us what this is? In my opinion, this is a portrait. This is a picture of one man. Now imagine you are the invisible God, all powerful, uh, existing in all of time and space at all points, and invisible. How do you paint a picture of yourself? God's answer is to spend 5,000 years. And, and you paint it on one nation, Israel. And you, and you, you paint it with a 1,000 different artists. You take poets and priests and kings and peasants, men and women, refugees and merchants, politicians and prostitutes, murderers, thieves, adulterers, heroes and villains. And they tell the story. And then you come in human form and you gather a handful of men and women who have been soaked in that story since birth. And you tell them more stories. And you perform miracles. And then one day you display your awesome love by dying for their sins. And a few days later, you display your awesome power by rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. And you say, go into the world. Add to the painting. Tell them your story. But you know what? That isn't enough. You could be the cleverest man who ever lived, or woman, probably a woman. Uh, and you could read the Bible a hundred times and never see the picture. You could never view the portrait because you need a guide you need the Holy Spirit. He's sent into the world to point to Jesus. You know, there are, there are peasant farmers in the hills of China who have read a tiny fragment of the book, have seen the whole picture, by the Holy Spirit. And what we find is as we stop thinking about what we should do or what we shouldn't do, when we look at him. When we walk with the Holy Spirit, we see his picture. We step out of slavery and into freedom, into a new path where our chief concern is doing what he wants us to do. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. Something change so that our will is oriented to his. Do you want that? I do. And we're going uh, to have communion in a, in a few minutes. Not just, not just yet.
uh, and we're going to have communion, and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm going to give you a chance to come forward and repent and to confess your sins uh, and be prayed for. Uh, and also, as we come forward and do communion, think about Jesus. Think on him. When we read the Bible, we need to do it with the Holy Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to come as we read the Bible. And what we see as we do that is the Holy Spirit loves talking about Jesus and he loves you. And what you do is you take a passage from the Bible. If you're struggling to find how do I read, uh, I love these, um, the uh, Straight to the Heart series, the really good uh, Bible uh, notes or uh, the U version that Howard's talked about is really helpful. And just take a passage and before you read it, go, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. Walk with me as I read this passage. And as you read the passage, listen to the Holy Spirit and look for the picture. And you'll find that it transforms your life. It changes you. It makes you uh, a fruitful person. So yeah, we're going to do communion now. Uh, The final point in what Paul makes, and I haven't got time to elaborate on it, uh, but we do all of this in community. We we take it to the cross, we walk by the Spirit, and then we live in community. Because in community is where people can say, it's a bit sour, mate, that bit of your life. It's a bit bland, that bit. And then we can go back to the cross and we can walk by the Spirit and we live in community. One day, you'll meet Jesus face to face. And I don't know about you, but I want him to taste the fruit of my life. I want him to see that it is good. I want him to marry a bride who is loving and joyful and always at peace while being able to forgive others even while they attack us. A person who is overflowing with kindness and goodness, whose faithfulness is mind as well as action, who has gentleness and self-control, no matter what the world throws at us. So we're going to take communion now. Um, If you want to stand, I shall pray for you. Um, Jesus... um, in one of his last meals with his friends, he took um, bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took wine and he drank it and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Uh, And as we come forward to take communion, we remember what he did for us. We, we remember what he's doing for us now. We, we bring our stuff to the cross and we look forward to his return. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we just pray. Make Jesus bigger in our lives. We want to see the picture. We want to see the portrait. Lord, we want to be fruitful. We want to be planted in a different ground. We want to take a different path to follow you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, come now. Come now, Lord. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.